at one point I was in a shared hosting environment and I had an MP3 of like, it was like me pretending to be an old guy talking about chimneys just to be annoying. And I named it Britney Spears baby one more time dot MP3 <laughs> and kind of left it publicly available just to see what would happen. <laughs> what happened? Uh, my entire hosting account got wiped <laughs> out because they found it and were like, oh, well, you, this is copyright violation. And they erased everything and I, I lost all sorts of work. Couchbase is a modern, multi-cloud-to-edge, SQL-friendly JSON document database for building applications with agility, performance, and scale. If you're new to Couchbase and would like to learn more, the Couchbase developer portal is the best place to start. It's loaded with tutorials, videos, and documentation, as well as best practice tips, quick start guides, and community resources, including the Couchbase developer community forum. Ready to get started developing on Couchbase? Visit couchbase.com slash new to Couchbase. Hello, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. How's it going? Hi, Paul. Hi, Sarah. I always wonder, like, is it morning everywhere where people are listening to this? If it's not your morning, no, good it's mandatory. Whatever yeah. it is. No, no. It's oh, mandatory. it has to be morning. Yeah, Ugh. we don't allow. No, yeah, we. It's a new feature in the podcast player. You can. <laughs> after <laughs> it's not 10, local morning. No, after ten, this just becomes like it becomes reply yeah. all. Yeah, after 10. reply all. That's exactly what it means. Fix up when you start brewing your coffee in the morning. Actually, that's how we send our newsletter. It arrives in your inbox no matter where you are at ten a.m. The big big story this week that caused a lot of media and people who don't normally talk about software to talk about software was this SolarGate hack. So I saw you know this was covered everywhere from business to politics because its impact was so wide, and there was actually a pretty incredibly detailed uh, blog post from Microsoft Security breaking it down. But Paul, Sarah, would love to get your thoughts uh, on this one. It says, where it all starts, a poisoned code library. Malicious code into solarwinds.orion.core.businesslayer.dll was the door in the supply chain that caused this to spread everywhere. Um, Have you read anything about this that you thought was interesting? I mean, you know, just all you need are those three letters DLL and, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, that's where the problem starts. Right. Yeah. And if you don't know, so this is something that's fascinating and a different, like something that is when you have compiled code, often you get delivered a file that obfuscates the code inside. Mm. Um, this is, I, I think, a remnant of the early world of software where people were like, if someone can read my code, they're going to copy it. They're going to steal my business idea. It's all going to be mm. over. So a DLL is uh, generally comes along with, you know, Windows programming, .NET programming as a final release version of a project. And the problem here is for, so for all the bonuses of people not being able to see your code, people also cannot see your code. So if there's something bad in there, it's really hard for them to figure it out. And I I think, to be fair, it really rarely happens because what would need to happen is, you know, say I'm a vendor and I'm putting together a DLL file to deliver, someone that works with me or someone that had breached our security would have to insert the malicious code you know, before we released it. And you and most places have pretty strict release policies, so it's tough to get something in yeah. there. But every so often. This, I mean, there's a good, if you look at the, when, when you put the link in the show notes, there's a, a nice chart showing how it happened. There's, I'm going to make a loud typing noise for a minute. Hold on. So there is a classic article, or actually it was a lecture, 
Okay, so Ken Thompson was one of the progenitors of Unix and C. Like he actually invented the B programming language that turned into C and co-invented Go. Like this is as when they say Unix graybeards, they mean him. Right. And yeah. he he won the the Turing uh, Award, the Turing Prize from the Association for Computing Machinery. Which, wow. Yeah, it's the big one. It's it's a good one. And his lecture, if I remember correctly, was. It's called Reflections on Trusting Trust. What it's about is like hacking at the compiler level so that the hack, the backdoor always stays in mm. and how hard it is to unlock that, right? And it's unlock sort of- Unlock that meaning like- un- Well, then it's like, okay, we found the hack. We're going to work around it. We're going to recompile this bad boy and, and then we are going to be secure, except that the compiler knows that. It knows that you're going to try to eliminate the backdoor. Right. So it reinserts the back door. So it, when it happens at the compiler level, really right. hard. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, once you get down, and that's sort of there's a little of this going on here where they like, and this is where the state level actor part is really interesting because you know power in our industry comes from being able to go down the stack. Like if you can ship a microprocessor like Apple just did, then you are a superpower in technology, right? right. And so like, and, and if you can hack a microprocessor, which is what happens when you embed Unix in the firmware on your Intel devices or whatever, then you have control over the ecosystem. And so like state level folks, get rid of folks, just nice guys <laughs> hanging out. Just hanging out. <laughs> hey guys, in hey, basements. what do you think yeah. about this micro, this micro architecture? They get real excited about going further down the stack. Like, like a, you know, script kitty, like cross-site scripting stuff isn't very excited to no. Russia. Uh, I mean, they'll do it, you know, you got to <laughs> yeah. stay busy, you right. got to justify your budget. So this is like, you know, this isn't quite at the level of the processor, but boy, is it, it it's pretty deep down, right? Like we're going to get there inside of this DLL and we're going to, it's going to be really hard to get this thing out of there. Yeah. We're, it's, it's an infection. There was some stuff in here that, yeah, Paul, I thought was a little bit strange when they were talking about how they knew it was a state level actor and, you know, the fact that they were so sophisticated they said that they obfuscated a lot of things, for example, not using things like keylogger and backdoor in the name of the malicious code, which to me seemed kind of obvious. Like I was like, is that a pro move? <laughs> that doesn't seem <laughs> well I like one thing I like to do is just name my code backdoor anyway. To, like freak people out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, no, I did this once to myself. I was joking and I, I named my own computer, like I named it a hash and then Bitcoin miner um, <laughs> on, on, the, on the land at work just to be silly. And then like four months later, I was, I was like, oh my God, I've been hacked. <laughs> That's right. The um, call's coming from inside yeah. the house. Pranksters get played themselves right, right. is what, what yeah. lesson I learned. There was an interesting like sort of Mad Libs that they did, like you were saying, to obviously stuff, they would generate these sort of like random strings. So they would have, these are the uh, components. It could either be SolarWinds, wireless, widgets, NPM, Apollo, cloud monitoring, interface, volumes, and components. Those people just like glaze right over. They've seen them a million times. Yeah, that's true. Look, I mean, I think when you, what's, what is state actor here? It just, I think it points to like a team, Mm. right? It points to a dozen people worked on this for six months, as opposed to somebody named Cyberlord. (laughs) Yeah. And they were wearing a leather coat. They were super patient. A long leather coat. They got in, they took their time. They didn't take anything right away. And like you said, Paul, I did hear a couple of interesting discussions basically saying like, 
to try to unwind this is next to impossible. Like you'd have to, you, you got to scrap the whole thing and start over. Like it's just, that's right. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of true. It's, it's true of the internet. It's true of computing. <laughs> if this is correct, I mean, like this looks like something that like you'd skim over and then you'd just be mad at whoever wrote it. Cause it's just a, it's just like a try catch. There's nothing in the catch. So you know that maybe it's possibly that they did that out of ignorance, but what's more likely is they did that to pass as code that actually went in to the, um, <laughs> went in to just, cause be, every time I see that, I'm like, what lazy person put in this try catch <laughs> yeah, with yeah, no just catch? catch? Just catch <laughs> that exception with no output, no, no response. Just like catch it. Exactly. Just, keep going. just a blank catch just, with just, nothing. Just and, but if you through. read it, I mean, it just says things like Orion Improvement Business Layer. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to yawn right through that. <laughs> oh, yeah. These people are pretty good. I mean, and, and I think, um, you know, they did all... <laughs> that's the thing. The reason they know it's a state-level actor is that it's bad enterprise code. Right? It's <laughs> yeah. not like... Anyway, the other... I think the other reason you know it's a, a state-level actor is it doesn't... The way to really do this, I think, is to sneak something in that's, that looks like it's just you trying to grab you know, bitcoins, but actually sort of like one level down, bury the, you know, voting machine hack or whatever you want to do so that they don't even know why you're doing right. it, right? Like this is very targeted as opposed yeah. to like, I want bitcoins. And so, or, you know, let me, I'm going to send email from your account. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to, I'm going to, what is it where they take over your machine? All right. Well, now that's not funny. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I thought it was pretty fascinating. We'll include the link in the show notes, but it's definitely going to be interesting to watch as they try to unwind this because it's they're deep, deep in there now. They're looking at all, all our plans for nuclear weapons, all our treasury accounts. So it's going to be fun. Our roadmap for Q2. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, we, we laugh. And then you look, you know, and then one day it's just like really bright out the window and you're like, uh-oh. 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 <laughs> Uh oh, yeah, it's bad. Everything's hacked. Everything, and when it's not, like, it, it really kind of sucks because, like, well, maybe the NSA is doing it, or maybe Google's just looking at your stuff, or maybe Facebook's going to help itself, right? Or maybe it'll be the Russians, like, or much yeah. worse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're just all kind of vulnerable sacks of of plump gristle at this oh, point. God. <laughs> I'm gonna try to uh, try to insert that into our holiday prayers. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Well, sue it. You know, bring the, bring the little birdies. Wishing it's you like, well. Please bless us these vulnerable sacks of <laughs> damn bristle. That's how I sign all my bristle. holiday cards. But yeah, no. Actually, there was an, uh, the last little bit of this was they were talking about why nobody has sort of like stopped this from happening, even though these cyber attacks have been going on forever, and it's because. Nobody wants to get into a hot war, like a real war with sending the missiles and the planes and the dying. And so like you can kind of just keep pushing the cyber as far as it can go because nobody really wants to retaliate in a way, as you said, like that's meaningful, like look out the window and all of a sudden, you know, there's mushroom clouds. And so we kind of are just going to keep playing these games forever. Like until the day when somebody responds to a cyber attack with with actual force, there's no deterrent to prevent people from just going as far as they can with this stuff. I don't know if the internet has taught us anything. It's that cybering gets real, real fast. <laughs> real like, you know, fast. Just like, yeah, somebody gets in there and sees those chat logs, and now there's now it's a divorce. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Speaking so of which, you, though, not to not to hijack, but I've been I've been learning so much recently because I've been building. So we're doing moderator training for the new year, and we've been wrapping up our DNI modules, and it's very real when you talk about the stuff that happens in cyber. You know, has a lot of real world 
implications. Mm. I've been reading all about so many studies that get done about cyberbullying or online hate speech microaggressions where the studies show that people, what you experience online, long story short, TLDR, what you experience online really affects your life. You know, from depression to suicide levels to different things like that. So, I mean, it, it, it kind of it kind of relates to this as we see a lot of attacks that can be targeting a group of people right. online or things like that. And I think those uh, real life implications are things that people think about. I feel like I, I went to my, my son did Taekwondo in the snow this weekend. So I took him cool. up. And just, yeah. And I'm sitting there. We're at the Taekwondo class. It's at a park. It's socially distanced. And I'm watching and my son's on the, he's like one of the younger kids, like maybe 10 or 11 year olds yeah. are there and he's nine. And they all were just like, all right, man, great job. And like, he was having a hard time with some of the moves and stuff. And, they, and all the kids were boosting him. And I just remember the children that I grew up with for whatever reason, but the culture around like kids, like kids are really trained to be respectful and nice to each other in a way that I wasn't like, the children I grew up with were like, you suck. It's <laughs> <laughs> the worst, worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, great. Yeah, they're like, you're garbage. Yeah. Don't even. And, and I'm like, so glad. Yeah, and I'm just like, oh my God, if I'd had this, I could have like cut five years of, of grumpiness out of my life. Yeah, no, no. Kids are kids are given a lot more anti-bullying training and grownups are now all just bullies online anonymously. There's been a bit of a yeah. paradigm shift. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's weird. There's this like really bad meme, which is just, it's just like a garbage image of a woman sitting in front of the computer. And the, the line is not now, honey, mom is cyber bullying the mayor. And <laughs> it's one of those things where you see it and you're like, I understand exactly what's happening here. <laughs> and it shouldn't make any sense. Like we should be not here right, right now. I mean, I do think that it's interesting what you were saying about how like, yeah, maybe we're training kids in a different way. When I, when I was growing up, Paul, I had the same experience as you. Like bullying was like, it's a part of life. Like in every movie, there's a bully and it's just something we all live with. It's like, a that's life. Yeah. They yeah. started, they started early. I mean, at, at the school, you know, we're in a liberal part of Brooklyn, but it's still a, it's a public school with all kinds of folks in it. And there are uh, gender related stuff, DNI and race related stuff. Like it's just a part of the curriculum in a way that it certainly wasn't for me. And, like there is this element of like, don't bully. You have to boost. There's signs saying don't bully. And I agree with you. When I was a kid, it was just like, well, you're going to have to learn to get punched in the face <laughs> yeah. sometimes, boy. Yeah. You know, I'm like, but you're my guidance counselor, you know? Just- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh. Do you think that's everywhere? Or do you think that's like a Brooklyn? I went, I always think about that as like Brooklyn tends to be. Uh, yes. Yes. Every <laughs> joke applies at some level, but yeah. at the same time, no, I think that nationally there- <laughs> <laughs> Nationally, there is a focus on on making kids a little more emotionally safe and healthy than certainly there was for us, my lord. That's great. But Sarah, you went, you were homeschooled or no? What was your? I forget. You told yeah, us. Yeah, I was homeschooled until high school. Uh, so bully, I, 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 that's that's the worst kind of bullying, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I skipped. Uh, what it was, I saved up all the bullying until mm. high school, Ugh. and then they fit it into those four years. It was really right, nice. It was a cramp session. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you're. Uh, hi. Really I don't know. I don't know anybody, but I like computers. Right. <laughs> yeah. <I don't. laughs> yeah. Uh. Those first two years were grim. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah. I was just thinking about this yesterday. Uh, it wasn't really a bully experience, but it was more like, oh, I'm different. I was at a slumber party with a bunch of girls. And for some reason, the question came up of like, you know, if you had one wish, would you rather be smarter or more beautiful? And someone like asked me the question. I looked at everyone like they were an idiot. I was like, what kind of 
question is this? Like, of course I would be smarter. <laughs> smarter of and course. everyone looked at me like I had just like dropped a nuke <laughs> on New York. Like they were like, what on earth yeah, like, is obviously, wrong with this girl? Does she even know where power comes from? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right, y'all. Let's chat a little bit about um what we're hoping to do over the holidays. We're going into 2021. My adventures in programming are gonna be game design related. My kids are super into Roblox and they have like a game studio. You can build your own game. And so we made a deal that they could they could do Roblox if they built one of their own games. So it's it's kind of cool. You can get it through them and they've got APIs and you you can even build a little little uh, monetization engine. So maybe we'll make a few bucks on a new Roblox game. <laughs> and then Ben doesn't come back to the podcast. He's like, listen, um, <laughs> yeah, if we, if we, something, something happened. We hit it big. Words on friends. Yeah. yeah. If we go words on friends, I may not be coming back, but what about you, Sarah? Do you have any holiday projects? So I have two. So one is my personal website, you know, the shoemaker shoes. I really got to attack mm-hmm. it. I really got to attack mm-hmm. it. And I want to get, I'm going to find an illustrator. I want to try to find an illustrator, do some cool illustrations. And then I want to do my GitHub readme. This is going to turn into a whole thing. It's, it's already, yep. I've already got a ton of bloat. There's too much bloat <laughs> in this project already, yep. but I want to, I want to start doing some more CSS that I don't hate, which means that I'm doing Flexbox. Flexbox is what I have found to make oh, CSS yeah. less Flexbox awful. Flexbox is good. It is good. Yeah. Though yeah. it is still tables and we can all agree to disagree. No, I mean, it's, it's just, really we're great. just, it's, yeah, it's a, it's an API. It's an abstraction over tables. Yeah. Um, cool. So wait, when, what is the URL? Like, is it sarahchips.com? Sarahchips.com Guru. or it might be sarahjchips.com. I remember so something. Sarahj.horse. <laughs> yeah, sarahj.horse. First step, remember the, remember the URL. First step. Yeah, sarahjchips.com. Yeah. yeah, it's like really old. It's like really old and I haven't updated it in forever. Yeah. I want to do that. And then, so there's that. And then we started doing these online workshops at Jewelbots, which has been really fun. And so I'm building out some more curriculum because ha- helping kids code online is hard. Because it turns out computer, like getting people's computers remotely all working in a way that can build Arduino is tough. But I think after a bunch of iterating, we're almost there. So I'm going to work on some curriculum for that too. So this is like modules and then people do it offline? Or when you say it's hard to do it online, what do you mean? Uh, No, I mean, all getting on a Zoom call with our little Arduinos Uh, and making some cool wearable art. Nice, nice. We started working on those this this month and that was really fun. want to keep making that easier for people to join it. Very cool. So when you're in a class like that, how many people usually show up? Is it, are you the only instructor or you have other teachers with you? So something that's important I've learned in programming classes is you want to have uh, teacher's assistance always because um, when someone gets stuck, they really need one-on-one attention. Mm. And especially when you're doing like a Zoom call or something like that, that means the whole class needs to stop right. and that person can feel kind of self-conscious. So like Zoom has those breakout room options. So having being like, okay, why don't you jump in a breakout room with this person? They can they can walk you through it. That makes it a lot easier. Sweet. Yeah. So usually it's like 20, 30 kids or something like that. And it's really fun. We all talk about our favorite animals. <laughs> oh, what's your favorite what's your favorite animal? A pig. I love pigs. Oh, uh, pigs are great. Yeah. Paul, what about you? What do you What about yeah. you, Paul? What are you gonna work on? It's a good question. I actually the same idea occurred to me, which is that like 
my personal webpage needs to actually do something because I make no sense. It's like you find a blog, five articles in my company when yeah. you Google me, and like just people are like, "What?" Huh? So a good, decent representation of past work, which I have a lot. You know, I have like a spreadsheet going with things I've written and so on. So I'm thinking maybe put that online. Maybe I'll just redirect to the Google Doc and just feel like here. Yeah. Here's the, here's the spreadsheet with the things I need. That's great. No, and then I started reading. Um, frankly, I'm just going to use it to kind of organize my thoughts. There's two two tech things I'll do, which will be relevant to the podcast. One is I started reading the 1960s era Lisp 1.5 manual, which is actually just one of those classic texts where they're inventing everything about technology from first principles and. Uh, it's great. Like I, I got about 15 pages in. I'm like, I have to read the rest of this. This is really interesting. And so that's been fun just to sort of like see how the, you know, the roots of tech and, and the how it kind of translates to uh, really low level stuff. And then the other thing is sort of from the totally from the other direction, I want to play a little bit more like hours, not days with APIs that talk directly to the database. Like, you know, there's, there's a data set with SQLite and then there's Postgraph file with Postgres. And I want to build at least like a, a two hour toy app in, especially in Postgraph file and, and play with it. We've been doing some, some work with it at work and, and I want to kind of get that repo and, and fool around. So, oh, interesting. Is that related to GraphQL? Like, are there things popping yes. up that are similar, or these things have been around for a bit? No, they've been around for like a bit, but just a bit. And they're, um, we've been using them a ton. So, basically, what you do is you define your Postgres database, you get your schema all trued up, you write custom functions if you want things like search and so on, you write them in PLSQL, and then you point this thing at them, Postgres file, like literally command line, and it sets up a GraphQL interface to that database that is as good as a GraphQL database you could or GraphQL interface as you could create. Like it just That's great. It, it knows all the stuff. The foreign keys become obvious relationships. And so that uh graphical interface, G-R-A-P-H-I-Q-L, is just sitting there and suddenly you can you're off to the races programming a front end without any middleware. So I love that. That's amazing. Mm. This problem existed for a while and it's so nice to see people doing some stuff with it. Very you cool. just don't actually need so we I mean you still need some middleware, right? Like you need like auth is still complicated. It's it's there are solutions for doing it in the database, but it it's not trivial and it, it's hard to wrap your head around like going from a classic web auth-based model to uh row level security in Postgres is kind of like, what? What's happening? Have you ever messed with JWT's JavaScript web tokens? Yes. Yes, I have. Yes. I, I find yes, them I find them really difficult. Right. And they shouldn't be so difficult, right? Because like, the no. whole idea was for it to be less difficult. There's like a JavaScript 2.5 moment where everything got a little too complicated. It was like, we're going to have 35 build systems. And I kind of lumped them in there. And the the simplifying engine has not showed up yet to be like, don't use JWTs, use blurgs, and and I don't really know what the alternative is. So anyway, JWTs they suck, but you know maybe they're good. I don't know, they suck. One last thing that I was going to think about doing, and I'm actually having an interview on Wednesday, is like trying to bring us a little bit in touch with the life sciences, just because so many people are thinking these days about what's going on with the pandemic and what's going on with the yeah. vaccine and stuff. So there was a really cool story. Uh, about a piece of open source software built by researchers at John Hopkins that lets you shrink the number of days for DNA sequencing. So from 15 day operation down to three or even one. And it's got this amazing thing. It's called a portable nanopore sequencer and it plugs into your USB drive. And then you just like put some stuff in there and it'll tell you what uh, the genetic makeup is. 
Oh, hell yeah. Although, you know, you, the number one use here is dating apps. Yes. You go on your first date, you both spit into a cup, and then uh, tells you if you're compatible yeah. long term. Oh, that's going to happen. <laughs> but yeah, I just think it's so wild that some of this stuff, which seems like it uh, would normally be sort of sequestered away in a lab, is now open source and available with like a you know, fairly cheap peripheral that can plug into any laptop. So we'll see how that goes. I'm going to read us a quick lifeboat, and then we will say our goodbyes. Today's lifeboat goes to Chinito, awarded December 11th, set style using pure JavaScript. Okay? It's got to be pure, unadulterated. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. All right, everybody. Good lifeboat. Good lifeboating. I'm Ben Popper, director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. You can always email us, podcast at stackoverflow.com. Have a safe and happy holidays, and we'll see you in the new year. Love you, love your show. Sorry, go. go. Yeah, I'm Sarah Jibbs, Director of Community here at Stack Overflow, and you cannot find me for the next two weeks. Mm, that's right. I'm Paul Ford, friend of Stack Overflow. Check out my company, Postlight. I'm going to disappear as well, but in a different state. Mm. Wow. Very cool. All right, let's count it down. Three, two, one. Hit it! <laughs>